It can be very difficult for us to hear today's gospel lesson. The reason for that, I think, is rather obvious. Right in the middle of the story, we find one of the most popular and most beloved passages in all of Scripture. John 3.16, right? There it is. So familiar, it tends to dominate our reading of this entire story. Everything else that is said between Jesus and Nicodemus tends to be interpreted in light of this one little verse. And to be fair, that is not entirely unjustified. John 3.16 has rightly been described as a concentrated version of the whole gospel. Martin Luther called this verse the gospel in miniature. It's fine, but I want to suggest that if we allow this one verse to dominate our understanding of everything else that is said, we are going to miss some other rather important themes in this story. John 3.16 is a great place to start in our attempts to make sense of what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, but if we stop there, then we're going to be left with a reading of their conversation that overlooks quite a bit. If we pay attention to some of the other themes evident in this conversation, we will find that there is more going on here than we may expect. And we may even find that this story has everything to do with us. So I want to take a very quick look at John 3.16, give it its due. And then I want to look around at some of the other passages in this story that can help us get a more thorough sense of everything that's going on here. Because if we look closely, we are in this story. You are in this story, this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. So John 3.16 is short enough as it is, but here it is in only eight words. Ready? God loves, God sends, we respond, we live. The first two do not change, even if the last two do. God still loves, God still sends, even if we don't respond and thereby choose to live in light of the life that God gives to us. God's love sends the Son so that we might respond and thereby live. God loves, God sends, we respond, we live. That's it. That's John 3.16. And now, (laughs) what else is going on here? (laughs) What prompts Jesus to share this little bit of information with Nicodemus in the first place. Are they arguing about whether or not God loves the world? No, they agree on that. Are they arguing about whether or not faith in God brings life? No, they agree on that as well. Are they arguing about whether or not God has sent Jesus? No, they more or less agree on that too, even though they mean different things by it. By and large, it is safe to say that they agree on just about everything. They agree about the love of God. They agree that faith in God is a key to real life. And they even agree that Jesus has been sent by God. The thing that divides them has to do with the difference between a life lived in faith and a life that is not lived in faith. A life that responds to God's love and a life that does not respond to God's love. Over here, we've got a life that is lived in response to what God has done, and over here, we've got a life that is lived in a way that doesn't really take into account 
what God has done. Nicodemus believes these two forms of life more or less resemble one another. Jesus, on the other hand, insists that the difference between these two kinds of life is every bit as great as the difference between night and day. In fact, it is even more dramatic than that. A life lived in faith in response to what God has done is so radically different from a life that is lived apart from that response that the two lives have nothing in common. Living a life that is grounded in faith and in the love of God requires starting over, just like being born again. This is the thing Nicodemus can't get his head around. Jesus talks about the faith that leads to life, and he describes it in two ways. First, he says the faith that leads to life is an absolute mystery to those who don't believe. And second, Jesus says that the one who lives by faith is to be a sign to the world, a sign that invites others to live according to that same faith. Let's talk a little bit further about both of those. Where does he say those two things? The first thing he says is that the faith that leads to life is an absolute mystery to those who don't believe. He says that when he says to Nicodemus, the wind blows where it chooses, you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it came from, you don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Both the source of the life of faith and the goal of the life of faith transcend this world. Look around you all you want, Jesus says to Nicodemus. You are not going to find anything in all of creation that you can use to make sense of the meaning and the power of the kind of life that I'm talking about. Because this life doesn't start here and this life doesn't end here. God is the source of this life. God is the source of this faith. And God is the goal of this life. God is the goal of this faith. And that is going to be bad news to anyone who is looking to turn the life of faith into a program for successful worldly living. This is one of the principal reasons that many people struggle in the life of faith. They want to live in light of the life of the Spirit, but they want to live that life in terms of the world doesn't really work that way. <laughs> C.S. Lewis once suggested that when we aim for heaven, we get the world thrown in as part of the deal. But when we aim for the world, we get neither heaven nor the world. This is why the life of faith is such a mystery to those who don't respond to what God has done. It is a life lived in light of another world, another life entirely. This is why the life of faith is of very little help to those who want to live a life that is oriented towards life in this world. You can fit the world into heaven, but you can't fit heaven into the world. That's the first thing that Jesus says to Nicodemus. The second thing that Jesus says to him about the life of faith is that those who live by faith, those who live in light of a response to what God has done, are called to be signs to the world, signs that invite others to live in that same way. Jesus says this when he tells Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now you remember, I hope, the story of Moses and the bronze serpent. 
people of Israel, having fled from Egypt, been wandering about the wilderness for some time, they find themselves subject to a plague of venomous snakes. So God instructs Moses to put the image of a serpent on a pole and plant it in the middle of the camp. And anytime anyone is bitten by one of the serpents, they look at the image and they live. The serpent on the pole becomes thus both a sign of judgment and a sign of mercy. It is a sign of judgment because it reminds the people of the things they had done that brought them to where they were at that moment, that brought them into the middle of a plague of snakes. And at the same time, it was a sign of mercy because even in the act of judging them, God was determined to save them. An act of judgment became an act of salvation. And just as Moses lifted up a sign of both judgment and mercy, so too was the Son of Man lifted up as a sign of both judgment and mercy. The Son of Man came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save it. We responded by killing him. And when the Son of Man is lifted up, it is a sign of God's judgment against all the things that we have done that makes God's judgment necessary in the first place. If you don't think that God has cause to judge the world, look to the cross. And when the Son of Man is lifted up, it is simultaneously a sign of mercy. Because even in the act of judging us, God is determined to save us. So all who look to the Son of Man as he is lifted up find in him power to save. The faith that leads to life, the faith that leads to what God has done by lifting up the Son of Man is an absolute mystery, especially to those who don't respond. But the one who lives by faith in what God has done, that life is a sign to the world, and that person becomes a sign to the world a sign that invites others to live according to that same faith. Now, not surprisingly, those two things go together. Who would have imagined that judgment and mercy could be brought together like that? Unthinkable, but not to God. Who would have imagined that the image of a dying man suffering an unjust fate would be the means that God used to save the world? The logic of that escapes us. There is something that just does not make sense in light of this world, but it makes perfect sense in light of the life of the one who transcends the world and who sends his son into the world. Now, I mentioned a couple times that if we look closely, we will find ourselves in this story, and I hope by now you are beginning to see where we are, where you are. Which of the two characters in this story do you think best represents you, Nicodemus or Jesus? As it happens, you're called to be both. <laughs> you are called to be like Nicodemus, and you are called to be like Jesus. Like Nicodemus, we too are confronted by what God has done by sending the Son. We too are confronted by Jesus. We are confronted by the invitation to be born again, to live a life that is grounded in an awareness of both the source of our life and the goal of our life as being something that transcends this world. We too have to learn to live under a sign that is simultaneously a testimony to God's judgment and to God's mercy. When we do that, when we believe the message that Jesus puts before us, 
then we become identified with Jesus himself. This is why I say we are called to be like him. We become like him as God conforms us to the image of his son, the one that he sent into the world. As he is sent, so too are we sent. We find ourselves called to bear witness to a way of life that is born from above, a way of life that is born and is governed by the Spirit. And we are called to allow our lives, ourselves, to be lifted up as signs of both the judgment of God and the mercy of God. Because when we believe the message that Jesus puts before us, we find ourselves in him. His life has become our life. Just as he is sent by God, so too are we sent by God. Just as he is lifted up as a sign, so too are we lifted up in him. And just as he brings life to the world, so too are we called to help bring his life to the world. Now we are in the season of Lent, that time in the church year when we are called to reflect on the degree to which our lives bear witness to our commitment to Christ. And today we are reminded that that part of our Lenten discipline should involve asking God how we might allow our lives and ourselves to be lifted up as signs of the love of God. Today we are reminded that like Jesus, we too are sent. Those who are born of water and spirit are sent from God, sent into the world, not to condemn the world, but to help save it. Those who are born of water and spirit will find themselves called to live lives that make very little sense to everyone around them. But those who are born of water and spirit are called to live those lives so that they too might be lifted up as a sign to those who see their life, so that when they are lifted up, the world might see Jesus in them, so that he is lifted up. Because when he is lifted up, what has he promised he will do? He will draw all people to himself. We are now the ones in whom he is lifted up so that the life and the truth that he brings will enable all those whom God loves to live as children of the light. That is what it means to say that God so loved the world that he sent his only son so that we too might be adopted as children of God and might thereby bear witness to his gift of eternal life to the honor and glory of his name. Amen.